This is Whitley Strieber, and this is Dreamland. You've reached the edge of the world. Steve Aspen is back with us. Steve was with us in June. And so you may ask yourself, why is he back so soon? Because normally we wait maybe a year or more between guest appearances, unless they are, like some of our guests, extremely prolific. But Steve has not published a new book. He's had quite an adventure with Amazon, though, similar to the one I'm having with Audible or had with Audible. Uh, Steve's book is Out of Time, The Intergenerational Abduction Program Explored. And when we discussed it in June, he was, it was on Amazon. It was readily available from him through his account. Steve, what happened then? Well, um, Whitley, we recorded our last interview uh, in late March. And although I asked you to um, delay the broadcast until June because of this incident that happened with, with Amazon, on the 31st of March, well, there's a little bit of background. I noticed in, in January, I got a very peculiar message from Amazon by email um, saying that uh, my name had been associated with another account, another KDP account, which they were absolutely certain of. And um, this account had violated the terms and conditions of, of the content violations, basically. So I wrote straight, wrote straight back to them and said, could you give me some details, please? Who Whose name is this account in? I had absolutely no, no clue what they were talking about. And I got no response to that at all. And I'm then I noticed in February, a um, number of the reviews that, that were posted on the book, none of these people I knew, but I had about 20 five-star reviews on the book, because which had been on the market since uh, September, and one other review which wasn't five-star. Um, some of the reviews started disappearing from the international sites. So um, how the Amazon review system works is that if you buy the book in the United States and you post a review on Amazon, on the books, uh, the product page on Amazon, it shows up in the United States and all over the, all over the world and the other Amazon sites as a verified purchase review. That means you, you can... Amazon can trace the fact that you bought it from Amazon and that review is published all over the world. If you buy it from Barnes and Noble or you're given it as a gift or, or whatever and you review the book, the, the review appears only on the Amazon.com site, but it doesn't go outside the home, home jurisdiction in the United States. So there was a lot of uh, reviews from Germany and France and one from New Zealand and a lot from the US um, showed up on amazon.co.uk and all the other other world um, Amazon sites. And they started disappearing one at a time in February and March. And I was curious about that. I actually didn't raise it. I just thought maybe it'll a glitch that'll just fix itself in a, in a week or so. And then on the 31st of March, I woke up and looked at the phone as I was, you know, putting the kettle on. And um, 
I had a message from KDP saying that my account, my Kindle Direct Publishing account had been suspended, taken offline, and as an author, an author, I no longer had access to it. And that was the end of the message. I received another message about 24 hours later saying that my account had been terminated because of content violations and citing that um, I'd made some posts apparently, or somebody had made some posts which had violated the content rules of uh, Amazon. And that um, I in some way was claimed to be associated with this other account. So I asked for details because this was completely news to me. I mean, it's all a, a, a complete mystery. Um, and I never got an, a satisfactory explanation. They just, um, I appealed against the decision and was told after five or six or seven days when I, you know, I, I made a number of phone calls. And you, when you phone the Amazon organization, if you're a, a published author, you know, normally you have to go through a several stage process of pressing, you know, two for this and three for that. And you get through to somebody in Bangalore who doesn't know what the heck you're talking about. So you explain everything to them and they, they quote the case number and they say eventually they'll they'll get somebody to phone you back and nobody ever phones you back. So two or three days later, I phoned again and I finally got through to somebody in Manila who and I had to start all over again. You know, they knew nothing about the case. So I explained it all to them, quoted the references and so forth. And again, the same story um, that they uh, would get find somebody to phone me back. And I was never called back. And on the 12th of April, I was finally told by a simple email message that the account was going to stay terminated and the book was uh, withdrawn from sale. And that was the end of the, the dealings. I mean, I never I, I saw no sense in pursuing it any further because they said they made an irrevocable decision and taken this book offline and they weren't going to uh, sell it anymore. They weren't going to host it. Um, I it was Now, this left me in a bit of a fix because I'd published it with Kindle Direct Publishing, through Kindle Direct Publishing, and they'd um, Amazon was in charge of all the print copies and they were the only distributor of the ebook. So I was completely left high and dry. Um, had I used a different publisher, I could probably have continued to print it and have sold it through um, other outlets, other retail outlets. So the book was basically offline from 31st of March when the account was closed. And the explanations I had um, about this from Amazon were completely unsatisfactory. I mean, I, I don't know what you make of this, if, if, you, if you had a similar experience. I, I was, there were a couple of other authors, interestingly, uh, UK authors, um, Malcolm Robinson was one who's uh, written 20, published 20 books and he's, he's a full-time researcher. Um, he's got an organization who investigates uh, poltergeist phenomena and so forth. All his books were taken offline as well and he had the same message from Amazon, but after two months, his account was quietly restored and he wasn't told, he just found out about it by accident and uh, his royalties resumed. And um, I'd been discussing with him of bringing uh, a legal case against Amazon, but he declined to go that route in, in any case. 
Um, there was an, a, at least one other author that I've been in contact with, Ron. I can't remember his, his surname now. There's so many people I've, I've been doing. And you you said that to me um, that you'd looked up these couple of authors and their their um, their books were on sale again. In my the books case, are on sale again. That's correct. Yeah, yeah. In my case, they, they it's complete. I'm completely banned from the Amazon organization. So I had to start all over again and republish. I know I chose a, a small UK independent publisher called Grosvenor House Publishing, quite high quality outfit in uh, Surrey. And um, they have republished book, a book in a hardcover, a cloth bound hardcover that here. It's fantastic, uh, um, really quality artifact with 105 um, GSM paper and a color interior and uh, um the the second format is the paperback which is very similar to the first edition and the third format is the ebook so they've all been gone onto the market um on after the 24th of august which is last thursday and they're in the united states they'll be available from barnes and noble and every high street uh, bookseller in the country so I'm no longer dependent on Amazon to distribute this, the, the, the book. Yes. And will not yes. be. Uh, having said that, interestingly enough, they have um, a product and uh, um, initiated a product page for the books the, in the new books uh, um, formats, the new uh, Grosvenor House publish, publications. And you can buy the hardcover, the e, um, paperback and ebook from Amazon.com. No problem. Um, but they're not published out by Amazon.com. So I, I can't really make any sense of this. Um, it's been off the market for three, th three and a half months and it's now available again. And um, it's all been very time consuming, very annoying and very frustrating. And I just, you know, I can, all I can do to you uh, is relate the facts to you as I've just described them. When we get back, folks, I'm going to relate my facts to you because I've had trouble too. And I think something's going on at Amazon and I think we all need to know about it. It needs to be out in the public space. And um, so I will be, when we be back, we'll, <laughs> when we come back, I'll be talking about my problems. And then we're going to be talking about the relationship between these big companies and authors they maybe don't just don't like and what that means we'll be right back okay we're back we're talking to steve aspen his book out of time do get it you can obviously get it practically anywhere now you can get it on amazon you can get it on barnes and nobles you can get it on waterstones in the uk you can get it in your high street bookseller, as he puts it. And um, I'm going to be in the UK soon, and I'll go to my high street bookseller and see if they have it. I hope they do. And if they don't, I'll ask for it. So the And you can get it from your bookstore, of course, in the US. The book, in other words, has not been suppressed. But somebody has been beaten up. Steve Aspen has been beaten up by a process that obviously does not work. Now, I say this from experience because years ago, I suddenly got a email from Amazon saying that 
I had been reviewing books of my friends in violation of their policies. And the problem was I hadn't been, I hate doing book reviews, frankly. And uh, <laughs> I, I had been asked by many friends to do book reviews of their books and have been procrastinating. And I probably reviewed maybe one or two books, not of my friends and, uh, or maybe uh, of friends, but in any case, it's not, it's a really a gray area in Amazon. Uh, it, uh, so that was, you're supposed to be review books that you have read. And, you know, I had read all the books I reviewed. And I think most of them were probably books of people who had been on Dreamland, who I liked and thought I was impressed by and wrote the re review of. Um, and then I, shortly thereafter got a notice saying you're forever banned from reviewing books on Amazon. I telephoned them. And in those days, it was a long time ago. You didn't end up in Bangladesh when you telephoned them as you do now. I talked to a person here and ex said very frankly that I'd never re knowingly reviewed any book in violation of their reviewing policies, which I knew quite well. I'd read them. And uh, and then he said, well, the, and, I, and I put this on appeal and then I got a notice saying that I would never allow to be reviewing a book or anything on Amazon again. And I thought for at first, how annoying. And then I thought, oh, good. Now, when people ask me to review books on Amazon, I can just tell them I've been banned. <laughs> so I just left it. Now, however, something extremely terrible happened terrible a few weeks ago it involves the amazon subsidiary audible.com what happened was this at the end of july i received my june royalty statement from audible the royalty statement comes uh about three or four days before the money is deposited in your account. And I, the royalty statement came. There was no question about the amount. I'm sure it was probably quite accurate, although I have to wonder just a bit about that now. Um, the money didn't show up. And it didn't show up for a week. So I called them and I got the people in Bangladesh who sent me to the people in Calcutta. Etc. I mean, I'm not disparaging these people, but they don't speak English well, and they it's clear that they perceive their jobs as to say the the customer or the complainant is wrong. They're not helpful, and I think it has maybe it's a cultural thing. I don't know, or maybe they're told to be that way by Amazon. But I called and I. I explained the problem, and finally I got to somebody who was very helpful and was in Bangladesh or wherever he said he was. I believe he did say Bangladesh. I asked him where he was, and uh, uh, and he said he would escalate this to the finance department, and they would contact me shortly because it was a serious air problem, and they would certainly look at it. Nothing happened. I didn't receive a word from any finance department. So I called again about a week later. Now nearly two weeks have passed. 
same thing, escalate to the finance department. They will in get, be in touch with you immediately. But because of the way their system works, the second guy had no access to the file of the first call. Therefore, to him, it was another first call. And that's wrong. I mean, when somebody has a, com a, a complaint like this, it should be in a file that when they return, they should have been, have been I should have been given a number or something that would ena have enabled the individual on the other end of the line to see what had already happened, but that does not happen. So again, no response from the finance department. Now I'm getting frantic because I, I need this money. This is my life's work. And people will always say, well, why do you have to charge for your books? And I have to laugh because this is my all I do. It's my work. If I, you know, as it is, if you, if Steve and I uh, counted out our earnings based on an hourly rate as to how many hours we'd spent on our books, I don't think we'd be making, I don't think he'd be making a pound an hour. I'd be amazed. I would not be making a pound an hour. Believe me, I wouldn't even be making a dollar an hour. And yet there's that friction, but not from most people. Most people understand that if you're, if you do work, you, you, you need to get paid in this culture. Otherwise, you die. So I'm pretty frantic at this point because this is my main source of income. And uh, I don't know where to turn. I'm just in shock, the best way to put it. Absolutely in shock. So I think to myself, I'm going to put this out in public. And... It, Things get much more complicated because I sent copies of them to the entire Senate Intelligence Committee. At this point, this is all still going on with, with Audible. I then have a speaking engagement at the Lilydale Assembly of the Spiritualist Church of America uh, in, uh, in uh, Casadega, New York. I am stop. I stop at the Chautauqua Institution nearby, which is a place where Anne and I used to go and love very much. We used to go every summer for years, and I stop there kind of for old times' sake for an overnight. I notice that while I'm going there, that I'm being followed from the airport from in Buffalo, and I think okay, someone recognized me and followed me. That happens. And I have been, I've taken a training about how to detect a tail and how to lose a tail. Because in my position, that does happen. And it's often very innocent. It's often just somebody who recognizes me and sees me and wants to maybe, you know, talk to me or something. And they're just a little bit overly aggressive. There's nothing that you generally no harm in it. And I don't think this type was one either. But I, I'm not going to go into detail about how this works, obviously. Uh, but I performed the maneuvers necessary to... I ended up on a side road with the tail still behind me. And in the process of realizing that I was not going into the motel they thought I was going into, and sitting behind me with wide-eyed expressions on their face. And I just turned around and went on down the road. And I thought, well, it's it's obviously a fan of something who doesn't who shouldn't have been doing things like that. And California, it's called stalking, and it's against the law, but it's not true in New York. So uh, 
I went on to, to talk, uh, whereupon I discovered that Christian Gillibrand, the senator who is leading the charge against the DOD, was going to speak on the day I happened to be there, purely by chance. And now I thought to myself, that tale takes another twist, because I have a feeling that was the intelligence community. They would know that I had sent my book, Them, to the whole Senate Intelligence Committee, and they were tailing me because they thought I was planning to hook up with Christian Gillibrand at the at the conference. And the last thing they want is for the abductions to become a part of the dialogue about UFO and UAP secrecy. That is an absolute uh, line in the sand for them. Of course, it was just seemingly just chance that I happened to be there on the day she spoke. Uh, I didn't uh, talk to her. I didn't listen to her speak as if they could imagine that I would be so unsophisticated as to try to buttonhole a United States senator and say, hey, I would like to tell you about alien abductions while she's walking through the streets of a Chautauqua institution. Forget it. I would never try that. I have a much more rational ways of dealing with this. So no one in the one senator sent me a form letter back from the Senate Intelligence Committee acknowledging the receipt of the book. And I have to wonder if they were intercepted, perhaps, and all thrown out, which could have, could have easily happened. In any case, um, so all of that's going on. I spent a, a few nights at the old cabin with the, the lovely, lovely family who now own it. And I had incredible experiences there that I'm going to go into in the third half, the third the third part of the show. Anyway, uh, so here's the situation. I have no money. I, I mean, my money's being taken. I do have some money. I'm not, I'm not uh, hand to mouth, but I, my money is being held back. I have uh, had this following incident, the chance passage, it, it, ships passing in the night with Chris, Christian Gillibrand. And I'm just nuts by this time. I call a lawyer, and not just any lawyer. I'm not going to tell you his name, but he has got a reputation as being a really ferocious and effective plaintiff's attorney. He's well known in legal circles. I also first met him when I held him in my arms when he was three days old. So... He turned out to be the right lawyer for me. He got on to Audible's chief of uh, the chief, their their head attorney. And Friday, I received a notice from Audible. This is now we're. I don't know exactly when we're going to run this. It's probably going to not be right away. Uh, this is August the twenty eighth. Last Friday, I received a notice from Audible saying that they had paid both payments. The lawyer simply sent them a letter saying, you're in breach of contract. And that's a serious thing. They were obviously completely in breach. Illegal action. Illegal withholding of these funds that they admitted that they owed to the penny. Uh, so the money, as of this morning, 
August the 28th, has arrived in my account. So far, I have received no explanation. The lawyer has apparently received no explanation from the from Audible as to what happened. And I don't think they will. And I think, Steve, that this is where we are. And I know of another author, I haven't contacted him yet, an astrologer who's having the same problem with uh, Amazon not paying it. Just not paying him and not, and not saying why and not responding. I think that there are people working in these companies who don't like certain subjects and that they are harassing people who write on those subjects. I think that's what this is all about. And that Amazon being so huge is unable to successfully self-police. Basically, that's what it is. I don't, I, I don't think it's a secret cabal of intelligence officers or anything like that. I would be amazed if that was the case. I mean, it's, anything is possible. Um, but I think that basically we're being harassed from within a company that has not got the 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 the, the uh, checks in place to stop this. I think that's what's happening. You you could you could be right about that, Willie. I I don't really know the causes of agency of this interference. Um, I I would have probably put it down to a malfunctioning algorithm and something of that nature, were it not for the reviews of my book being manipulated and deleted over four, five, six weeks. And that was something deliberate and it takes human interference from somebody inside the well, I think organization. I think that's exactly what I'm talking about. It's human yeah. interference. Yeah. Someone yeah. interfered. Who, who had absolutely no right to do that. They interfered with you. They may have even created some account that you can't see that has yeah. your name associated with it. Because if they're well, I think, within yeah. Amazon, I mean, God, they must have carte blanche. Mm -hmm. Yeah, something of now, that nature. The, yeah. the, this is very important, folks. If you are a writer and or, or have books on any of these platforms, any Amazon-related platforms, and you get into trouble like this, please let me know at WhitleyAtStreber.com because we've got to go to the... I'm, I'm taking my case to the Authors Guild, and I think you should take your case to the Authors Guild too, Steve. Okay. This needs to be known. I thought about taking it to the Pan American Center, but it's already been made clear to me that... that Pen defends authors who are worth defending. And unfortunately, I'm not one of those for the, as far as they're concerned. I still contribute to Ben because they do good work, but they do not like me. Uh, I'm too out, mm. out there for them. So in any case, I think the Authors Guild should hear about things like this. And uh, what's it called in the UK? Uh, there is an Authors Guild in the UK. I don't know. The, I got get messages from the Authors Guild all the time, so I'm kind of in touch with them. I think. Uh, well, I'm yeah. Well, then get get in but touch with the I one. I think it's just. I think it's just the Authors Guild. I don't know whether there's maybe maybe there's another one uh, here. Is it is it a pen, something like that? What I don't know. I I, I don't know. I don't. Can't oh well. Anyway, we should we should yeah. definitely get in touch with with them. 
I'm not being a professional. Unlike you, Whitley, I've not been a professional author um, for my career. Um, I retired a few years ago, and, and out of time was my first book ever published. Yeah. So this was all new to me, really, this, this world. I, yeah. I don't think that this is some sinister intelligence operation at all. I think Amazon mm -hmm. needs to clean house because they have people in their in their in their ecosystem who are censoring books and harassing authors they don't like. I think and using the system uh, to do that. I, I think that's almost certainly the case. And do you do you, do you suspect they're they're operating on the alone, or do you think there's a group of them? I would think it's a religious group. Religious group. Mm -hmm. A religious group or a political Interesting group. Interesting thought. Yeah. And I think that they're probably being very careful. But I because the other author that I know of who has been being stiffed at the present time by Amazon is uh, an author of uh, astrology books. So you get alien abduction <laughs> and astrology, and you see these are occult books. And my guess is that there are people inside Amazon at some level, and I won't say necessarily Christian fundamentalists, because there could there are a lot of people, Hindu fundamentalists, Christian fundamentalists, Muslims, people with believers of all kinds who have reason to object to our work. And I think that these people are there and that they will... They're if they're successful, they're going to get bolder and it's going to become very chaotic for a lot of authors. I don't know how many other authors outside of our community have had these problems, but there might be a lot. It might be a very much of an undiscovered issue. And that's how I'm, what I'm going to bring up with the Authors Guild. And I'm hoping that the Authors Guild will then get into touch with Amazon because this is not something... Amazon is a very effective publishing house. I could not still publish if it wasn't for Amazon and Audible. I respect them enormously, and I love their work and their effectiveness. People can click on something, and if they want to buy a hardcover, softcover of my book, they can get it overnight anywhere in the world, practically. Or a, a wonderful audio book and all of that. That is wonderful. It's wonderful, especially mm -hmm. an author like me, where nine out of ten buyers in the bookstore community just snicker when they see the name Whitley Strieber. They don't want to put my books up uh, in their stores. But I've still got a big audience, but and it's because of Amazon and Audible and Barnes and Noble and the others, a distant second. But I think of this as a problem that they have that we can help them solve and continue to make, be sure Amazon remains the wonderful company that it is. Hmm. That's for writers. That is, and I know that we have all kinds of objections to Amazon. It's becoming a monopoly, but not in the book trade. It's a player in the book trade, but it's by no means a monopoly. So, yeah. It's not a monopoly, uh, but it's a very, very big one. Maybe the largest, um, certainly the largest on, on, online retailer of books worldwide, I would think. Yeah. But it's not. But I, they don't have a monopoly. I also think that they have uh, greatly increased the amount of reading that's being done. Yeah. 
and created a whole new kind of reading with audible books, a whole new kind of reader. I, I think they're, I think it's a wonderful outfit and uh, we need to help it get better. That's, that's my attitude. So, okay. Now let's talk about what in your book might have made the somebody let's say it's a religious group of some kind decide they needed to give you trouble um, first, first, no, wait a minute steve I'm, I'm 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 jumping the gun in two ways first it's time for a break and second uh we need to go back and have you tell your story briefly. Steve told it in June, but I want him to remind you briefly of what is the book is about, and then we'll go on to what it may be that caused this to happen, if I'm right about why it happened. We'll be right back. We're talking to Steve Aspen, his new book, Out of Time, in more ways than one. In this case, he seems to have been run out of time by Amazon. Out of time. Out of stock. <laughs> right, the intergenerational abduction program explored. Somebody didn't like that enough to try to kick you off Amazon and silence you. That's the bottom line here. So tell us a little bit about the book. Well, um, it's a book about the abduction phenomenon, which is not talked about that much nowadays. Um, and it's excluded from the um, the very public dialogue um, around David Grush's re as revelations and uh, his testimony to, um, you know, the U.S. Congress over the past few weeks. And uh a number of other people have testified to, to the Congress, you know, about the UAP issue and about the ATIP program and the ORSAP uh, programs and so forth over the past 15 years. So it's completely excluded from the dialogue, but it's my contention. It's, it's my, I, I'm a lifetime experiencer of these events, um, which I didn't work out were in any way related to, aliens or uh, non-human intelligences or or extraterrestrial life forms. I have no idea that it was anything to do with that until in my, when I was about 50, actually, in 2007, um, that's when it all fell into place. And I began to pursue it with a determination and certainty that that was the causative agency. And I... I began to investigate and read up on the abduction phenomenon in a way that I'd never been inclined to do before. But it was, it was, it's there since um, infancy. I mean, I devote the first chapter of the book um, to my experiences from infancy until middle age when uh, a, a long series of bizarre and peculiar events like UFO sightings, missing time episodes, and a sighting of um, uh, two grey aliens in a hotel room in Sardinia, 
with my father or a, or a very vivid, realistic image of my father standing between them. And a cattle mutilation, which I saw when I was 14 years old in Ireland, I was taken to visit a, a close-up cattle mutilation, exactly like those that, that have uh, plagued farmers in the Midwest. Okay, tell, us, tell us a little bit. Well, before let's get to the cattle mutilation in more detail in a moment. But before that... <laughs> What, tell us about your early experiences and what your grandmother said they were. Yeah. I, um, I asked one of the, I used to have these um, episodes at night um, every, every few weeks when I was paralyzed and the, the, I was surrounded by these little creatures who had a very unpleasant, uh, musty smell to them. And they, um, they, I felt I was manhandled and moved about, and and I could never move a muscle in in those uh, these uh, instances. Um, and one time I was lying on my back on one of these tables they put you on, and I asked the one of I just asked the one who seemed to be in charge, a slightly taller one, who was had his back to me at the time, why they were doing this to me what I'd done to, to deserve this, what was, the, what was the reason? Did everybody go through this or do, is it just some of us or was it just me? Probably not just me. And he said to me telepathically, because that's the way they talk to you, he said, oh, it's because of your mother and your, and your grandmother and your great-grandmother and you're the next in the line. And it's very factual, very matter of fact. And he just carried on with what he was doing. The next time I met my grandmother, who died um, within about 18 months of this particular conversation with this entity, the next time I met my grandmother, I asked her about these nighttime incidents and uh, what, whether she recognised what I was talking about. And she said, oh, Stevie, they're just the pixies. They're, they're, they're the pixies. They'll, they'll always bring you back. Don't worry. And she had this um, uh, she had this framework for it that this happened to a lot of kids or most kids, and you just had to wait until the ch a child asks you about it, and you just explain to them that they were pixies and they took you away, and they sometimes well they always brought you back. And um, she was completely adjusted to it uh, as her reality. I don't I don't recall this ever being any part of the conversation between her and um, my mother, you know, her daughter uh, and any other members of the family or where I was present. It never, never came up. But now, just on this one occasion, I asked her and that's what she said. Let's take a pause here, folks. I want to put up something, a photograph of a gray, a pixie, if you will, coming up out of a basement in Mexico. This in as I'm talking, you're now seeing it. And this is a almost certainly a real image. Now, I know that members of the skeptics community will say it's a fake and this and that. But if it is a fake, it's still real because this is what I've seen, including, and you notice it has a vagina. And I saw one comment about it. Oh, it can't be an alien. They wouldn't have vaginas. Ha! No, why not? They're sort of angelic beings who reproduce out of their left ears i don't think so uh this is what i see 
And another thing that could happen is that someone can put up another picture and say, this, I made this and this is how it was done. And yes, that's true. You can make one that looks just like that, but that doesn't mean this image isn't real. Even if this image isn't real, it is so accurate that it is truly an image of one of these individuals and coming up out of a basement. And the reason is the same reason that Steve would smell a musty smell when mm. he, when they uh, would come near him. They come from underground. The theater in the sky, Annie, remember, always said, it's a theater in the sky, a theater in the sky. They're making us look up while they come from below. Does that mean they only live below and this is also their world? It may. Or it may be that they came from originally from somewhere else and have lodged themselves below. We don't know the answer to that question. But they are quite real. And now, and this is going to be the subject of my next book, why do they come up? from below why were they so interested in steve and what about the generational aspect of it steve knows a lot more about this we're going to take a final break and then we're going to talk to him in more depth about just what that generational aspect of it may mean we'll be right back we're talking to steve aspen his new book, Out of Time, The Intergenerational Abduction Program Explored. Now, Steve, we've come pretty far down this road. Can you let us know exactly what you think and have come to conclude is the reason for this intergenerational abduction program? Yeah, well, um, in the book, um, in chapter eight and chapter nine uh, in the book, the last two chapters, I do um, present evidence that the program probably started in the 1890s. And I, I, I do bring a fair bit of evidence to that. It may have been a little earlier, but I don't think it was after 1900. I think this has been going on um, about 120 years now. And so we're into the fourth or fifth or maybe sixth generation, depending on you know, the length of a generation, um, the time interval of a generation. Um, the, the, the alien which spoke to me when I was 10, 11 years old and um, told me that it was before because of your mother and your grandmother and your great-grandmother. And the, the, the very, very strong impression I had from him was that that was it. It wasn't, nothing was happening before that. Your great-grandmother was the start of it. Your mother, your grandmother, and your great-grandmother, full stop. And my great-grandmother was born in 1873. And by the 19, by 1890, she would have been uh, 17 years old, which is the start of the reproductive years for um, a, a female. And in those days, lots of, lots, lots of girls were married at 17. Some women married much later, of course, but... Um, she had a first child in 1908, so she she married fairly late-ish. Um, 
my grandmother was her only child. And um, I, I, I think um, the intergenerational thing must be something to do with them changing the genetic makeup very subtly in ways that our geneticists can't detect or they're not looking for, for it. They, they may must be making some subtle genera uh, generational changes to the the um, to the, the abductees. Um, one of the curious things is that I, I, one of the things I, I go into in a later chapter was that you know the the, the reproductive um, cycles of um, of humans that the, the human females um, have all their oocytes created when they're in the womb before they're born so by the time a baby girl is born she's got several million oocytes in in her uh, body uh, which um at the onset of puberty puberty they develop into ovarian follicles and one is released every roughly every 28 days for the whole of her, her um adult life until she's about 50 when menopause kicks in. So she re releases about 500 oocytes, um, some of which develop into um, babies if, if they're fertilized and uh, she, she becomes pregnant. Human males have the diametrically opposite happen to them. They don't have any sperm produced at all until, until puberty. And then sperm production starts and it doesn't stop until a man dies. Even if he, if he lives to 110 years old, he's still producing some sperm. Um, it's considerably reduced that like all physiological functions are, you know, as you age. Um, but it, it never stops. So he has some sperm production, even if the, the motility and numbers are, are down, he's still producing. And one of the things that male abductees have always told me is, those who have a good recall or train themselves to have a good recall is that they have sperm samples taken so far as they know on every single abduction event. And the question is, why would they do that? Because you think that any sort of sentient life form would, uh, with advanced science and biology you know, understandings, which they obviously have, would realize that if they get a one sperm sample they can freeze it or sustain it somehow and use it for millions and millions of offspring if they want to create offspring from them but they always go back to well every few weeks they get another sperm sample from the man every time the man's abducted this happens and there's a variety of um of ways they do it, they you know they they put something over the the whole groin area, and they, it's a kind of suction device when the man's lying down on the table. Or occasionally they have um, female abductees or or female hybrids assist them in a, you know very imaginative ways. Men who've had vasectomies also have sperm taken by the insertion of a, a very small needle at the back of the testes, um, just behind the testes. So they have, and sometimes they they resort to. Uh, a, a technique of electro ejaculation, a, a kind of electro ejaculation, which where the man that's that's what happened to me. Yes, well, you can confirm that, that and then and the, yeah, the, that the, that happened yeah. to me absolutely. And also, uh, I had a, an incident of sex, but it wasn't with a hybrid; it was with one like the picture. That's why I well, know they have yeah. vaginas. 
Yes. Um, so they this sperm taking from the sperm that's constantly produced by a man's testes, even even from men who've had vasectomies, in other words, have had a physical a physical surgical intervention to prevent the sperm being um, ejaculated through the uh, urethra. Um, they have a technique for all that, and they they're 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 experienced with it all, and they know exactly what they're doing. And there's a must be a reason why they do this, why they take so much sperm from all their male abductees. And I think it's it must be because the the abductees are being slowly genetically modified, and the the modifications um, in the abductees because the sperm is all freshly manufactured. May, must be present in the sperm somehow. That's the reason why they it keeps taking the sperm samples. I I don't know if anybody has a different explanation for this. Um, well, I'd I, be I, very keen to hear it. But I've well, I have I have a sort of supporting observation. Two things: one, a needle was put into the side of my head when I was in my abduction experience in 1985. Two. It has been observed on MRI scans that a certain area of the brain is apparently connected somehow with this. It is the white matter between two parts of the executive function of the brain, the caudate and the putamen. And this white matter is associated with, it's not really very well known what it does, but high density white matter seems to be associated with a high level of psychic ability. I don't have high density white matter. I have high normal density white matter. But there are people who have been studied by Dr. Christopher Green, Kit Green, whose white matter is really dense and they're very psychic and very involved in the experience. Uh, in my case, as he put it, the connections are totally unique in his experience. And this is a man with a, probably 50 years of experience as a neurologist, or maybe more by now. And he had never seen a brain like it. And I think you're looking at a person whose brain was altered by them, probably so that I can be what I am now, which is I use the implant. And very frankly, I'm linked to them so completely that when I meditate late at night at three o'clock in the morning, it used to be that I would struggle to connect with whatever it was that was trying to connect with me at that time. Now I'm, it's like being plugged in and I'm working. It's a, my new book. The one I'm working on right now is more of a team effort than any of the others. So you're looking at that evolution in action here, I think. And it's an evolution toward, in my case, a link, linking between us and them. Uh, why don't you tell us a little bit about your impressions of why they would be doing this? In the 1970s and 1980s, a lot of female abductees claimed that they were the pregnant without cause, without their work, not in a relationship, and they, they just became pregnant. And they furthermore said that um, they were that was confirmed by medical authorities, and yes. that some, somehow they after that about ten weeks usually was, was the 
the optimum time, they, the pregnancy disappeared without any bleeding and they suddenly knew they weren't pregnant again. And there's, there's accounts from female abductees of having the fetus removed uh, from them. And furthermore, in the, these, this sounds crazy to somebody who doesn't know the subject, but abductees also reported through the 80s and 90s and, uh, and maybe not after that, that they, when they were on board abducted, they were asked to or made to um, or encouraged to hold a baby, a little baby thing, really small baby, and feed it and nurture it and uh, cherish it and radiate love to it. And um, there were a lot of stories about people seeing um, in these, in these, uh, excuse me, in these uh, craft that they were taken to, rows and rows of, of tanks of brown fluid in which uh, a fetus or embryo was floating. And this was very, very commonly reported. I mean, even Terry Lovelace reported this um, uh, during one of his major abductions in the, in, was it the 1980s, the Devil's Den, Den incident? But he, he writes about that, that he, he, was, he was in the room with uh, hundreds of tanks of uh, little, little babies in. So they were, they were rearing that the, these, these um, babies are obviously, quote, born, unquote, at some point. In other words, they, they became separate lives uh, that didn't need that kind of sustenance uh, as they grew. And um, people then reported they were dealing with hybrid children, which I actually remember in, in my case uh, in, throughout the 1980s and 90s. I was dealing with... Tell us more children. about the hybrid children. Um, I, I just have an, I have nighttime wait, 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 incidents. Wait, wait, hold on. Hold on. We've reached the end of the first hour, so I have to take a break and say goodbye to our free uh, listeners. And I said that I would be talking about some things that had happened to me in the third half hour. I'm going to put that, folks, into the section, the subscriber section separately. And because Steve and I have got a lot to talk about and we haven't finished yet by any means. Okay, so we'll be right back. Okay, Steve, just go right on. Because the, the, well, this... yeah, um, people, people report dealing with uh, hybrid children. And I remember having some extremely vivid physical dreams. I, I put them down to, as dreams at the time, playing with a little room, room full of hybrid children, maybe 10, 15, 20 of them, uh, uh, four, five, six-year-olds, and teaching them tumbling games and teaching them to jump off things and float through the air and uh, do somersaults and stuff. And I woke, woke, I woke up in the morning and in a, a very peculiar position in the bed, like hanging off the, the, end of the end of the bed. And with sometimes with bruises on my body and I could never really work out what, where those bruises came from in those days because I had no idea about the abduction subject at all. Um, that, that I was involved in it or that this was a, a part, of, part of it. And I do discussed this uh, briefly in in out of time but it's not a major focus because there's a lot of ground to cover and i wanted to cover um all the essential elements of the of the abduction issue so that readers who are relatively um 
un, un, considered themselves to be not very informed uh, about it and hadn't read the literature and had, had no familiarity with the, the case literature could get a handle on the essential elements of what's going on, what we, what we can be certain is happening or, or, or is real, um, including um, a lot of forensic stuff, like uh, the, the, the way they mark you with this, they take little bits of tissue out of the, the soft uh, tissue areas of your body and what these might be used for. And there's a, there's a long... Um, uh, section in the appendices where an implant was removed from an abductee and um, it was investigated and and, um, and analyzed and I spend we talked about this during our last last um, interview right we did but, but let's bring but, it up again yeah but you know these implant plants are placed in all different sorts of places in abductees, including in the ears. And they, they people sometimes, you, you've you got one in your ear, is it your left yeah, ear? Yeah, I use it all the time. It's my main research tool. Main <laughs> research tool. Absolutely <laughs> um, not. No, a I lot of abductees, a lot of abductees say they, they know there's something in there because it rings with a single monotone quite loudly in their ear for several seconds, every day or, or twice a day or, or every week or so. And they can always recognize it's coming on and then it, it rings and rings and rings and rings and rings and then it dies away. And there's something in there which may be transmitting or maybe just recording information. I don't know what it's doing. Maybe you, you, you've got ideas about this, but the abductees do come up, frequently comment on these implement, implants. Um, the one that um, is described in one of the appendices of Out of Time is it's a, it's um um, a print of an article on the online um, of an implant analyzed by um, Steve Colburn and his company, California-based company, which is a forensic nanotechnology company. <clears throat> and this um, thing had um, very, very tiny, just a, a, a like a very, very tiny seed in size. And it has a, um, a, a an outer coating of hemocydrin, protein coagulum, and keratin, the three things woven together. And it's when it's in the body, it's it produces no inflammatory response in, in surrounding tissues, which I think we touched on this before. It means it's almost certain to be made from or engineered from the tissue of that individual abductee, which is why the abductee's immune system doesn't recognize it as foreign. It's not a natural inclusion because it's not it's not calcified or anything. It uh, is that that sheath that is around these things yeah. is such that uh, it it has to be manufactured, but we can't do it. We can't do it with without when when we can't do it. The knowledge is certainly not in the public domain. It might be somewhere somewhere in the human world, but we don't know. Yeah, it's, well, it's. it's hmm. This place but, is so bollocked up with all this crazy secrecy that you can't know for sure. sure. And it opens it up to conspiracy theories too, because then people can say, oh, well, it's really the military. Yeah. I don't have any evidence of that at all. I'm, yeah. I've seen the military involved in my experience, but once or twice, but they were, they, they were not our military, not as we understand it. 
Yeah, you know, there's um, there's an episode in um, Terry Lovelace's book um, Devil's Den where, where he's um, he recounts seeing guys in military uniform, and he reported uh, when he was grilled, uh, interrogated after the event because you know if you haven't read the, read the book, as they were um, he and his his buddy were camping on in an uh, an Arkansas Arkansas National Park State Park. And um, they were, uh, had a long abduction experience, uh, which involved, which uh, resulted in their, their bodies being quite badly burned with radiation. And they had these vivid memories. Um, and they were interrogated when they got back to the, uh, the Air Force Base, when they, where they were stationed and separated and, and grilled for days and days and was forced to sign um, um, documents whereby they'd uh, their consent to being hypnotized and they consent to this and that medical procedure on them. And um, they described see, seeing these guys in military uniforms um, during the abduction. And the interrogator, with, there was a couple of them in the room, one of them asked him in more detail. And when Terry described exactly what they, they looked like and exactly what their... Um, their uniforms look like, and they, one of them said, damn, that was with, I mean, in, in recognition. And he, he obviously knew something about it. That's, that's you know, Terry's uh, recollection. Um, but I, I don't have any ex such experience of, of, um, of meeting people in military uniform, but I think uh, a lot of American abductees claim they have. And you, you have, yeah? Uh, well, the the people I met weren't in uniform. They were the ones who put in the in the implant, and it they they spoke English and they were in dark clothing, and uh, it had the feel of a military operation because there were people in the backyard. And when I woke up, someone in the backyard said, "Condition red," and uh, the people in the room immediately ran forward and subdued me uh, oh God. but i um, didn't see any uniforms you, they they spoke with their with their mouths with their vocal cords i heard it, it no i didn't hear it telepathically i don't think but okay. you know it, you i found out or i noticed i have had a lot of telepathic communication and sometimes it's hard to to discern, you don't realize it is telepathic. Yeah. You know, uh, and I also have situations in which I can be linked into what appears to be a very large telepathic network. And you were referring to earlier uh, uh, that, uh, that uh, uh, the hybrids have telepathic abilities and um, I'll be sitting meditating and suddenly I'll hear a voice saying something like, uh, Whitley, 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 or something like that. And it, it's a thought, but it's not my thought, clearly. And so what I do then is I just open my mind and uh, concentrate my attention on my body. And I have usually got have a dialogue at that point. Uh, and um, 
that happens many times and they're out there i and uh i was in a place once in the mojave desert where i was um some of them apparently don't like me very much. And I went to breakfast. I was staying alone in a little cabin out there, absolutely alone in the middle of nowhere. And um, I went to, out to, the, drove out to the town nearby, which is about 10 miles away, and uh, had breakfast. And I heard two of them talking about me in my head and, and not saying very nice things. And uh, what's he doing here? And he better not come out here. Uh, we don't want him out here. We don't want him bothering us. And as I left, there were these two people standing in the foyer of the restaurant, the little restaurant, just glaring at me with hatred. And one of them, a woman, started to move forward toward me quite aggressively. And uh, the man said, just leave him alone. She, he said that in voice. And they watched me leave. Have I ever gone out to the Mojave Desert to a little cabin again? Absolutely not. You were, think, you were in the Mojave think, Desert recently, but that was for a different reason. What? That was a few weeks ago when I contacted you. Um, um, you were in the Mojave Desert. Were you in the Mojave Desert or di different? I think it was not Mojave. You were in Baja, California. Oh, in Baja. Yeah, I was just going to say I wasn't in the Mojave Desert. I haven't been there in a long time. I, okay. If I ever go out there, it'll be like contact in the desert. The UFO conference is held in the desert, but it is not near where that was. And I would go to that. But I would I would not leave the hotel and drive out alone in the desert again ever, not ever. Uh, and no, I was in Baja, so the southern tip of the Baja Peninsula with my kids, and uh, certainly we didn't receive any trouble. We we didn't get any trouble from anyone. But what whoever's out there, what they did not want me to do was to go out there alone and contact the little gray people on my own which is, of course, why I went out there. They didn't want that. Wow. Wow. You have such an interesting life, Whitley. Yeah, I'm not alone <laughs> in this, Steve. <laughs> Talk about it. Talking to the, the, the yeah. pod calling the kettle black. Um, <laughs> you've been a businessman most of your life. You've, you've yeah. not... It, it, and does this enter your life anymore? Is, uh, why did you... What inspired you to suddenly start writing about it? Well, um, <clears throat> I'd had all these experiences in my life, and I'd written, I'd written um, basically 10, 15 pages of chapter one on a A4 size paper, which is like US, you know, it's more almost the same uh, writing paper. And um, I'd sent it to a couple of people. A few people had asked me about it. I, I, was, I, I I have a, uh, an A-list journalist in the UK, he's a friend of mine who keeps fairly quiet about this, but it's very interested in, um, in uh, the work Robert Hastings was doing, um, investigating the uh, UFO interactions with nuclear weapons sites and so forth, and has, has, uh, has interviewed him about that. And I, I've known him 
about 10 years, 10, 15 years now. And I sent it to him because he was very interested in uh, in uh, my experiences, my history. And he was wide-eyed about it. And he inter interviewed me at length about my experiences and recorded it. He doesn't didn't publish it anywhere, but he, he was very interested in this. Um, my wife, uh, who I've been married, I've, I've been with since 2008, she was, um, she's been involved in this peripherally. She, she doesn't believe she's an abductee. Uh, she did at one time, but I, she doesn't have the kind of experiences that I do, although she has very powerful spiritual inclinations and, and you know, understandings of, about things. And she, she's, um, practices, uh, Theravatic Buddhism, the Buddhist monastery in Hertfordshire. Um, and other people like, um, um, David Jacobs, Bud Hopkins, uh, the aforementioned Robert Hastings, a number of other researchers, Peter Robbins, and I've known for many, many years, all were encouraging me to write a bit more about this because you know they were they were kind of captivated by um, my way with words, if you like. So um, yeah, I, I have to second that. <laughs> I, I retired, I sold the shares in my, I had a, a surgical innovations company that started in 99 and ran successfully until 2017 when I had a fairly good offer to buy the shareholding and uh, assets for the business. I was 62 then and I was starting to slow down and I worked really, really hard at that business for many, many, many years. And I had uh, half a dozen full-time staff, and they were all very, very loyal. But the company could basically operate on automatic pilot at, at, at that stage because I'd, I'd um, trained people in all the vital business functions, so I could go off for three or four weeks if I needed to. And and what was the company again? I... <clears throat> um, it was um, I was designing and having contract manufactured and selling surgical equipments. Um, ah, and, di okay. and medical diagnostic equipment. That was what the business's uh, core um, activities were. So, and I was I was at um, big medical trade fairs uh, promoting the, the business, and I used to visit surgeons doing procedures in the hospitals and uh, show them demonstrate how to use the equipment and and sell diagnostic laboratory equipment and, and so forth. So that was what I was steeped in for twenty years, and and uh, it was a very very busy company, a very busy business, very successful. So I sold the shares in, in December 2017, and we moved to a, quite a remote location in the UK on, in Eastern England, which is not easy to find or access. But we wanted a quiet life, having lived in near London first. I, I've lived there since 1980 in London, um, in, in, the, in the London area, because it's a very big city. Um, and I wanted to complete change of scene. I wanted a quiet life. And I got a dog and um, we spent time you know, growing vegetables and hanging out at the local beach and, you know, just relaxing and, and, and adjusting to a completely different rhythm of life. We're in a very small, friendly uh, village community. And um, in 2022, last year, uh, I'd had a moderately serious medical incident the year before it wasn't COVID-19 related but um I I'd had um a bit of a scare and um I just decided it was time to write the book and it just it just came to me 
suddenly, uh, well, after, just after New Year in 2022, and I just started writing. I used to write um, about two hours in, in the afternoon and two hours in the evening, and sometimes at night. And by the end of April, I'd got a 88,000 word manuscript and it's, it was ready. And um, I decided to, you know, give it to a professional editor and uh, pre pre prepare the whole thing for publication. That's how it started. And um, I showed it to a couple of people, the manuscript to a couple of people when it was, it was edited and finished prior to publication. And one was uh, Peter Robbins came to stay here with his sister when he was speaking at a conference in Hull. And I know you've been to Hull because um, uh, you know Stuart Alexander, don't you? Yes, I have. Uh, so you, you know where he, li he lives. I live about 40 miles south of, of there. And where I live in uh, the Lincolnshire Walls, which is a, uh, an area of outstanding natural beauty, which nobody's allowed to build on unless you know, there are very strict planning rules and so forth. So it's an extremely wild and, and very, very pretty, beautiful area. And it's very, we're quite isolated, so um, I don't, we don't see that many people anymore. We, obviously, on, when you, you live in the online world, you know you don't really need to physically face, you know, deal face to face with people too much unless you choose to. And um, Peter came to speak at the whole conference. They came, he came to stay with us for two or three nights. He, he and his sister came along. Um, to the conference as well, though she wasn't speaking, she was just accompanying her brother, you know, because she's 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 been to England before as well. And um, Peter was visiting a couple of people bef before coming to stay with us, and I, I drove into the whole conference at the weekend and um, dropped him off there. And he read part of the manuscript, like two or three chapters of the manuscript. He was pouring over it at night and and uh, in deep in thought in the morning, and he, he really really encouraged me to publish it you know and he wasn't the only one but he was he was a big motivator to to me pursuing the publishing uh, yes. the final stage you know because the, when you write a book you have you have the idea then you, you write it and then you, you've got to clean up the manuscripts and edit it and so forth and have it copy read or if you're really good you can copy it yourself and yeah. you need to get some <laughs> feedback I'm on. Be terrible. I couldn't copy right and edit my books all really? Oh no, I couldn't. Well, your writing is your writing is really excellent. Well, <laughs> thank you very much. But I, in talking now about your writing and um, yeah. folks, you're uh, you're hearing some very good endorsements of the book. Yeah, and you're yeah. getting one from me now. Uh, the book is absolutely extraordinary. And yeah. if you go on Amazon, it has no reviews because it's not going to be republished. It's going to be republished. In, uh, it re is republished in September. And all of the good reviews have just been stripped away. They're gone. So oh, the, 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 the book is published now on the 24th of August. Out of time. Okay. Um, in, um, um, yeah, I, I see it. it. It is published now. When I read it a moment ago, it said it would be, I, I would. Uh, uh, okay. So you can get it for September delivery or something like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The, yeah I don't want to imply yeah. that the book isn't published. It is yeah, published sure. right now. Yeah. And that means can, that, that means that the retailer selling it, whether it's Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble, hasn't got any stock, but they can right. get it, you know, for, for this. This available, the wholesalers all have it. So you probably get it soon yeah. in September. 
Well, it's September on Friday, isn't it? Isn't it? From yeah. where we are. It's, so yeah. it's it's it, this will be when this is aired, the book's published. It's available. Yes. Yes, it is. Yeah. And yeah. So there we we have it. And do do read it because I think uh, whoever didn't like it <laughs> might have been somebody who knew that it was true. And well, so, yeah. Yeah, they, they say when when you're over the target, the flack is the strongest. <laughs> right, exactly. And uh, so definitely do read it, folks. It's a uh, it, it, Steve has had quite an odyssey with this book, and hmm. and again, I, I'm not too willing to attribute it to the, what happened to him and to me to some kind of great conspiracy. But I do think, as I've said earlier, that Amazon's got some house cleaning to do because they've got people in their system, no matter their original locomotion, I mean, it could be the intelligence community for all I know, but whatever their locomotion is, they are obstructing Amazon's business for their own ends. And that is that, that needs to be carefully investigated and, and taken care of because the last thing a company like this wants out in the public is the fact that its authors are being mistreated. And that is what is happening here. I think you're absolutely right, Willie. Yeah, you're absolutely right. So I hope so. And I hope they hear this. Uh, I know they will, uh, actually. Go ahead. No, you don't um, need to hold it up. Uh, there's, it, it, I have a website it up automatically. If you go to the website, outoftimebook.info. Yes. Out of all, of that, all of yeah. that will be amply done for us by the editor. It'll be a nice copy of the book and everything like that. And uh, so you don't have to worry about that. That's why we don't, I don't do too much of that during the show. We're just talking. But when you see it, you'll yeah. see that the book is prominently displayed, et cetera, and so forth. Now, would you prefer them to buy it from Amazon or from outoftime.com? Uh, I think if people buy it and read it from watch whatever outlets, um, I'd be very happy. Okay. Thank you. Okay. Just the, the well, good. Uh, gets gets read and gets exposed. You get some exposure. It's worth it. Exactly. That is that is what is important. So, Steve, uh, please, uh, I want to thank you for being with us, and um, I want to apologize for talking too much about my own books. It's uh, okay. We we have a dialogue. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was trying to make a point, and I realized mm. as I was doing it that I was inadvertently stepping on your promotion of your book and i don't want uh, to do that because i can only reiterate folks the dialogue this is the important is, thing well this book is important and it's we know it's important basically because somebody who knew somebody it was important like wanted it. to kill it <laughs> wanted to kill it yeah they did yeah uh, it yeah, wasn't amazon because if it was amazon yeah. it would still be dead they wouldn't have allow, allowed another publisher to publish it yeah i don't think but someone inside the company had it in for this book. Someone inside Audible had it in for Whitley Strieber. Someone inside Amazon had it in for this astrologer whom I'm trying to track down. And possibly for you, if you are a listener to this show and have had trouble with Amazon and published, publishing your books and had difficulties, let us know. Steve, I want to thank you very much for being back with us. It was as rich a conversation this time as it was in June. 
And uh, of course, we actually had the discussion in March, but that's another story. And just to explain that, folks, uh, right after we had the interview, Steve told me what had happened, and we delayed the interview until there could be some way of him him purveying books. And that was that's why when you click on the uh, uh, buy button in the in the in the show, it takes you to outoftime.com. So thank you for being with us. It's been a real pleasure with him. Yes, thank you. you. See you next time. Bye. You've been listening to Dreamland. Be sure to tune in again next week. Dreamland is brought to you by unknowncountry.com and its family of subscribers. Our theme music is The O of Pleasure by Ray Lynch. Unknown Country was founded by Ann Streber. Our news editor is Matthew Frizzell. Our coordinator is Amy Safrankova. Whitley Streber is your Dreamland host. And I'm your announcer, Ted Alexander.